Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would, be opening your Bibles to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, just before Matthew. It's on page 842 in your pew Bibles. If you want to turn there, page 842. Uh, what a wonderful weekend it's been in the congregation here. We again offer our appreciation to each of you that came and donated blood yesterday. It was great to have that generous gift given by many of you. Uh, also, we've had a wonderful uh, luncheon of newcomers hosted by the Whitakers today. We always appreciate their uh, being a part of that and making that happen in their hospitality and delicious food and the fellowship that is in uh, that occasion. Also, the widows had a wonderful luncheon together at uh, Red Lobster, and I hear that that went well. Camp is a heavy topic being discussed right now. Let's be sure and be mindful in our prayers this week of camp. You know, I've mentioned to you a few weeks ago, but I want to mention it again because I really want you to be praying about this. When we go back and survey young adults and talk about the times in their life where they made important decisions for the good, the times of their life that had the greatest impact upon their spiritual life, camp is one of the highest occasions mentioned. It's a time that really provokes youth to thinking about what is important in life. And so let's be praying for our staff this year. Let's be praying for our youth that will be attending that. And let's pray that it will be a lot of fun, but more importantly, that it will be a tremendous spiritual occasion for our youth and that all will go well and be safe. We appreciate uh, Phil and Andy and Marie and the tremendous work that they're doing uh, with our youth this summer. It is amazing to see so many children from the very young ones up to the, to the oldest children being involved in wonderful things and giving uh, of their time in such wonderful service and devotion and study. We appreciate those individuals for uh, being a part of the life of our youth this summer. The word Malachi means my messenger. God had a message that he wanted to send to the people that we find it at the very end of our old Bible. The truth is, it's at the end of the history that is recorded by Holy Writ. If you would think with me for just a moment, this might help us to kind of lay it all in perspective. When we think back to Ezra, or to Haggai and Zechariah, you remember that whenever they went back from the Babylonian captivity, back into Jerusalem, that small remnant of people, those are the two that went back to help begin the rebuilding of the temple. And if you'll remember, that was a long and drawn out process. About 60 years later, Ezra would go back and he would encourage the people to remember the law, remember how to offer sacrifice again, remember how to offer temple worship to God again, remember the way God wants you to live. And then you'll remember about 13 years after that, Nehemiah received word. What? You mean they haven't built back the wall yet? It made him cry. He sat down and wept and he prayed and and finally, he decided with a passion in his heart, and that's the individuals that get things done. With a passion in his heart, it couldn't stay this way. And so he went back, and he helped rebuild the wall. When we study Malachi, Malachi was a peer of Ezra and of Nehemiah. And so if you imagine a nation of people that have returned from Babylonian captivity, and they've been there for about 100 years probably, that's the people that Malachi is writing to. People that have already settled in and become lethargic. 
people that had started offering sacrifice to God that was an embarrassment. But yet, they said, what are we doing wrong? People that actually stopped giving tithes to God and when confronted about it, could say, well, how in the world would we ever be robbing God? People that betrayed God and His Word by going out and intermingling in marriage with idolatrous nations, the thing that God had told them for hundreds of years, never do this. And again, they would throw up their hands and ask, how in the world have we defiled God? Tonight, I'd like for you and I to study the first chapter of Malachi. Not every verse in it. But there's probably some of us here that have been Christians for a good while. We've probably gotten up every Sunday morning for about as long as we could remember knowing, I'm going to go worship this morning. Have you become lethargic? Have you become almost apathetic in your attitude, but yet present physically? You know, as a congregation, we're a little over 100 years old. You know, some congregations just kind of sit in a groove, and they just kind of go on, not really accomplishing a lot. We sometimes give the phrase housekeeping, and that's about all they do. I don't believe that Mount Juliet has that problem, and to God we give the glory. But friends, this evening I need to pay close attention to this study in Malachi, and I need to make sure that what I offer to God in sacrifice is something that God would be pleased with because there's so much at stake. Look with me, if you will, to Malachi, the first chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 6. Now, before we read verse 6, I'd like to remind you of the Ten Commandments. You remember the first two commandments were, was the command not to have any other gods before you and not to have any images before you. Then we drop down to the Fifth Commandment, and the Fifth Commandment dealt with our relationship with our mothers and fathers on this earth, and we we're told to honor them. Well, here, Jesus, or God, addresses with the folks through the voice of Malachi... He addresses almost like a blending of those two thoughts, things that they would have understood very well, that God is worthy of our respect. And surely if you would offer that to a father on earth, why would you not offer it to a father in heaven? And so with that being said, let's read the sixth verse of Malachi, the first chapter now. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You see the groundwork that Malachi is laying here as a messenger of God? He's saying, listen, is God your father? Well, they would have said, why, sure, God is our Father. Well, where's the honor? Is God your master? They would have said, verbally answering this question, they would have said, well, yes, God is our master. Where's the reverence? You know, today, I believe that one of the great challenges you and I have because of our religious culture 
is to make sure that we always deal in a reverent fashion with God. It is never right to bring God down to a common level. Whether we're in worship or if we're out in our day-to-day activities, God is always deserving of our reverence, which means we place Him in high esteem. The idea that God is my buddy is irreverent. The idea that He's just some common thing in my life is a disrespect. And so what He's doing here is He's laying the groundwork to say, can I have your attention? Do I deserve to have honor as a father would have honor? Do I deserve for you to speak speak and to deal with me in a reverent fashion as your master? And of course they're going to say yes, and he says, okay, why do you despise me? But note this. He said, why do you despise my name? Not only is God worthy of our honor and our reverence, but even his name is worthy of such. And so now you might say he's called them on the carpet. He's saying to them, I can't believe that you would deal with me in this way and find nothing wrong with it. So now it has my curiosity up. I don't know about you, but I want to know what in the world are they doing wrong that they think is okay, and yet God says, I have a serious problem with this. Let's read on the next few verses, 7, 8, and 9, still Malachi, the first chapter. Here's what they had done wrong. You offered defiled food on my altar. Now keep in mind, this was the days of offering sacrifice where they would bring fruit offerings and harvest offerings. They would bring animal offerings and they would offer them to God. And so when he talks about uh, my altar here, in a minute he's going to talk about my table here. He's talking about the offerings that were laid on the altar to be offered to God. And so he says in 7, You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? And he says, by saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Let's pause here for just a moment. Contemptible, one way to define it, and I know this isn't a word we oftentimes use, but I want us to use this word here, and it's in the dictionary. This is the way it can be defined, but it really puts it in perspective when we think about whether or not, think about whether or not we esteem God, we honor God, we give God reverence, Or contemptible means to de-esteem. What had they done to the sacrifices to God? They had offered not excellent sacrifices, but defiled sacrifices. They had not esteemed their offerings to God. In other words, gone for what God had asked and for what was best and what was right. Instead, they had made it contemptible. They had de-esteemed it. How did they do this? Let's look at 8 and 9. And when you offer the blind, speaking of a blind animal as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer a lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now you entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? You see the implied answer there. He says, if you would not treat a man on earth this way, you wouldn't dare go to your political governor and offer him an offering of the lame, of the sick, of the diseased. 
You know he wouldn't accept it. But yet you're going to bring this and defile the offering to me. You're going to corrupt the sacrifice that ought to be offered to me. And you're going to say, why would God not accept this? Friends, I need to realize that when I mix my priorities, in other words, first things first, what is the most important thing? And that is that we offer to God what He has asked that when we offer our very best in fulfilling God's will, and if we mix that priority and say, oh, that's not important anymore, it really doesn't matter that I worship God exactly as He asked, what does that do? God is teaching us here that that is a dishonor to Him. Either we honor Him or we don't. How do we not honor Him? By offering Him what He has not asked. Draw back, if you will, to Leviticus, the 22nd chapter. Leviticus, the 22nd chapter. We're going to read 22, 23, and 24. And by the way, if you want to do further study this week, you can read all of Leviticus, and especially from uh, or 22nd chapter, but especially from verse 17 and on. But we'll just pick out a few of the highlights of this chapter that pertain especially to what we're studying here in Malachi. This is why these people either did know that what they were doing was wrong, or at least they should have known what they were doing was wrong. And like I say, this has already been developed earlier, beginning at verse 17, but we're going to pick up at verse 22. Leviticus is the 22nd chapter. He says, Those that are blind are broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a boar or a lamb that has a limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. The picture's pretty clear, isn't it? An individual says, you know, we've got, we've, we've got to take an offering today to God. I tell you what, you remember that lamb that, that broke its leg the other day? Let's go ahead and take that one because we don't need it in our flock anyway. Let's take and offer that to God. That's the very thing that God's saying He absolutely would not accept. So we go down to 31, 32 and again see how is it that God deals with such sacrifice. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name. Now, did you notice that? We're back now to what it does to God's name. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Why could they not offer animals that were not of the best quality? Because it profaned the name of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? It brought God down. At least the essence or worth of God in the eyes of the one that was making the offering. In other words, profane is to take that which is esteemed, that which is holy, and to bring it down and defile it or to make it common. We cannot offer to God less than what he has asked and still esteem him and honor him as the greatest. 
we profane his name. We make his name common. We all have heard of profanity. What is profanity? It's taking the name of God and using it in common language. To say as an expression of speech, oh my God, just because you're excited. What is that? It's a dishonor to God. It is not reverent to God. It is profanity. It's taking that which is holy, that which is great, and it is bringing it down to a common language. And God says, I absolutely will not accept that. How many people sitting in this room and how many people have worshipped God today, or at least in their minds, they've offered a worship to God today, but yet they will go throughout this day or throughout tomorrow, and in casual language they will say, Oh my God, that is the same in the Old Testament of taking a lamb and saying, I tell you what, right there is my best lamb, but I wouldn't dare offer that to God. All God is worth is something that, that is common. God is only worth something that is my worst here. I'm just going to take that because God doesn't deserve to be esteemed. God is not going to receive reverence from me. I will not show respect to God. I will not honor God. I will honor, I will give to God what I choose. And I choose to give God much less than the best instead of the best. Friends, profanity is serious, serious sin against God. To use the name of the Lord, the name of God, the name of the Holy Spirit, to use them anything less than in great reverence and great esteem is a tragedy. Let's build on this thought as we go back to Malachi, the first chapter, and see how he develops it. That is, Malachi develops it as he's God's messenger here. Now, as you're turning back, I want to lay down just a little bit of parallel point here, just really to reinforce it. And those of you that know the story well, it'll fit very well here. Do you remember in Genesis, the fourth chapter, when Abel and Cain both made an offering to God? And you remember that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's sacrifice. But do you remember that as he rejected the sacrifice, he said that he also rejected the person? Do you see how that's a parallel to what we're studying here? In other words, they were offering here, in Malachi speaking to these individuals, and they were offering offerings that were less than acceptable. But yet, if you talk to them, they would say, I'm in a right relationship with God. So now the question is, which one does God accept? Does God say, well, I accept them because they say that I'm right with them? Or does he look at the life that they're living to see if their life is esteeming them, to see if their sacrifice is esteeming them? Just as he would not accept Cain because of the sacrifice, he would not accept Judah here because of their sacrifice. Now, just a little side note interest along with that. When you turn over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and say, why did he accept Abel's? In Hebrews 11 and 4, he accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was more excellent. What does more excellent mean? More excellent simply means greater in quantity or quality. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? Abel's sacrifice was more along the lines, the quality of what God asked. Apparently, Cain's sacrifice was not of the quality that God asked. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, so therefore he accepted the person. In other words, I cannot be disrespectful to God and expect God to accept me as if everything was all right. Let's look now to Malachi, the first chapter and verse 10. Who's going to stand up for God? Remember when Ezekiel, the Lord asked for a man to stand in the gap? You know, sometimes one person can make a lot of difference. Noah saved the human race. Abraham stepped up and was faithful, and he was a father of the faithful. On and on the list could go of individuals that stood up when apparently no one would stand. It seems as if God is asking for someone to just take a stand against all this disrespectful worship. Notice how he says it here in verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. What doors is it that he's wanting shut? He wants to find someone that's bold enough to confront the priest and all the people that are bringing these offerings. See, the priest should have looked at those offerings and said, no, we can't offer that. But you see, the priests, were, they were tolerating it, which tells us something about leadership, that when leadership is off base, the people become off base. And so the priests were accepting it, so therefore the people were accepting it. And now Malachi, the messenger of God, is saying, who will just stand up for what's right? Who will go out there to the inner courts? The altar would have been inside the inner courts. Who is it that's going to be bold enough to go out there and shut the doors and say, no more? We're not offering any more sacrifices like this to God anymore. If there only would have been someone that would take in that stand. Now, let's look at this second point this evening. And if you're wondering, it's only a two-part sermon, okay? This is so interesting to me as I studied this this week. Who is it that gets tired of worship? You seen people that they just get tired of worship. They miss a little while because they're tired of worshiping. Or they sit there and they, they'll watch their clock all the way through. I'm not just talking about checking to see are we going long. I mean all the way through. Oh, we're only 10 minutes into worship. Only 40 minutes into worship. Who is it that gets tired of worship? Let's begin reading here as we read verse 11, 12, and 13. For from the rising of the sun, even as going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now here's the problem. But you profane it. What they profane? The name of God. How did they do that? By the kind of sacrifice that they offered that was less than the best. And they profane it in this also. And that you say... The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. Now, we've already talked about all that, so let's build this next point. 
you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Isn't this interesting? They changed the standard. Notice the emphasis. They changed the standard. God says, here's what I want you to bring to me. I want you to bring me the best. And they say, no, 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 no. I tell you what. We're going to start accepting the fact that we still will be individuals that worship God, and he'll just have to accept the fact that we're going to take the lame. If we want to steal somebody's lamb, we'll steal their lamb. If we want to take one that has ulcers or sickness or disease, if we want to take one that has a limb too short, it doesn't matter. We're going to set the standard. Do you know what human nature is going to say? Human nature is going to say, if you let the people have it their way, they'll like it better. Think about it. Isn't that interesting? They started doing it their way, and after they started doing it their way, they say, man, this is wearing us out. I'm tired of this. You know what they were going to have to do? They were going to have to figure out something else to change. They changed that law, and now they're already tired of it. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not only did they change worship, and then they got tired of the change that they made, but they sneered at it. Today, we would say they turned up their nose at it. If we begin changing worship, you know, putting our standard, our spin on it, doing it the way we want to do worship, it won't be long before we're tired of that. And it won't be long before we start looking at it and saying, I could come up with some better changes than that. And so then it's one group looking down on another group as everybody just looks around and snubs their nose at it. What's the answer? The answer is real simple. Let's go back to the way God said to offer sacrifice. I didn't start with this this evening, and maybe I should. I hope we all realize that worship is simply offering sacrifice to God. We have the gift in our heart, and it is brought out when we pray. We offer, we offer our prayer to God. And when we sing, Hebrews, the 13th chapter says, we have fruit on our lip that we offer to God. When we give financially, it is an offering to God. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, the meditation on our heart is about our, the Son's body and about the Son's blood. When we study God's Word, it's not a time to evaluate the preacher. It's a time to study God's Word and offer a submission to the will of the Father. Worship is an offering from the time it begins to the time it ends. And so now the question is, what should we offer to God in worship? Exactly what he asked. And in that we esteem him, we honor him, we show him our reverence, and by no other way. And I believe also the application is true, that when you and I do that, the emphasis is upon God, and we don't grow tired of it. I know that there's others of you that feel the same way that I feel about this. 
Every year I'm a Christian, I enjoy worship more. Every year. I love to come and worship. I love to sing songs of praise. And I know I'm not alone on that. How is it that you and I can do the same thing every week and not grow weary in it? Because that's the way God's designed it. And so it is. Tonight, let's make sure that as we prepare ourselves to come to worship next Sunday, let's really think and evaluate ourselves. Am I bringing God the best that I have to bring? Now, kids, you know that we don't spend the night with friends on Tuesday night. That's a school night. Sure, you can go Saturday night. That's only church tomorrow. Well, that's bringing God the best, isn't it? Doesn't matter if you're worn out. Doesn't matter if you can stay awake. It's just church. What do we bring to God? Every one of us tonight, we've offered something. We've either offered our best in song from a heart, prayer, study, or we've offered something lame and diseased. Let's give God our best. If you've never been baptized into Christ for mission sins, tonight would be the time to give your life to Him, the best that you have to offer. He can take what is spotted with sin and cleanse it pure and clean. If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins, won't you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ? Start living the best life that there is to live as a child of God. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and when you sit right now and evaluate and meditate upon your life, you realize that you might be a little bit like those of Malachi's day. You would say with your mouth, yes, Lord, I love you, but your actions would say, Lord, I've given you my second best or my third best or my fourth best. Let's make sure that not only in our worship, but in our day-to-day life that we're giving God our best to Him. Let's not leave here with God being second or below in our life. Let's leave here tonight with God and ourselves knowing that He is first. We can help you anyway, come as we stand, as we sing.